Hey guys, welcome to the history and the mystery. This is George Mesa with the Third Eye Edify podcast, welcoming you to another what is sure to be very interesting episode that will hopefully show you that not only do you know more than you think you do, but everything is hidden in plain sight. Almost everything. <laughs> we'll get into that a bit later. But um, how many times have you written or drawn a cross? It doesn't matter what religion, race, creed you follow. How many crosses have you drawn on purpose? How many crosses have you drawn because they're just a part of your life? I imagine most of my viewers, most of my listeners are English, American, write in English, read in English. What is a lowercase t? It's a cross. It's a very old symbol. Certainly older than 2,000-ish years. What else looks like a cross? What else represents a cross that's in something, let's just say, older than the English language? Let's think about what an Ankh looks like from Egypt. The Ankh that is often held by a certain god who we will discuss in a second. Let's look at one. I'm going to pull up an Ankh here for just a moment because I think that would be the best thing to do. Take a look at this. This is the Ankh. It looks just like a cross, but it has not a perfect circle on top, but it is a circle. It looks more like a Vesica Pisces. Looks more like the portal of all life is really what it looks like. And what does that do for us? How does this affect our own language? And do we use the symbols in the Ankh in our own language? I'm fairly certain we do. Not only for written language, but for math, as a matter of fact, which we'll get into in just a little bit. Uh, one of the books I just read, which I was completely blown away by, in all honesty, uh, Esoteric Structure of the Alphabet by Alvin Boyd Kuhn. And... I haven't read a more impactful book in uh, recent memory, maybe a year or two. It's a short one, but it packs a really serious punch, and I can't wait to check out more of his work, as a matter of fact. Um, it's all about what the alphabet's structure could actually mean, the order of the letters and the letters themselves and how they look. There's extremely uh, detailed discussions in a small book. Trust me, it's something pretty special and I'm not even going to go into full detail at all about this book. What I'm going to do is use it to platform my own thoughts that I've had lately and talk about some other things. But what he mentions in the Ankh is that, yes, it's a cross, but it also has an I and an O. If you take away the dividing horizontal line, you get I-O, which we use endlessly in our world, especially our digital world as of late. But it's been around for way longer than that. What does I-O give us? If they're right next to each other with the I first, we get 10. We get the number 10. Often describes the end of a cycle or perfection, as a matter of fact. And um, numerically is just the beginning. Um, <laughs> if, if, if studied in the way that this author has mentioned, one of the more interesting things that he mentioned is that zero here would be an endless, indestructible, primordial matter. 
and I would be the creative mind or spirit power, which actually plunges down into the sea, downward. So not only is it just a shape, but it actually represents, um, and as we'll get into a lot more, but it actually represents a sense of motion, which will be a very important um, thing to mention when we start talking about what kinds of things end up in circles in a descriptive way, in a symbolic way. Because this language, this written form of language that we have, and I'm convinced the English language was pretty much handed to us and made sure to be this primary language that is in use today, language of diplomacy. It's everywhere you go, even on you know um, highway signs, even in stores. A lot of people speak English just to make sure they can use commerce uh, properly with, you know, we, we go everywhere. We're tourists everywhere we go. They even use our money in a lot of places, or maybe more than a lot of places. <laughs> but look, I just had a little rant on the letter T, looking like a cross, looking like an onk. I'm going to connect some more dots as we go along here, but started the question with how many times have you written a cross? I hope I surprised you. How many times do you invoke a spirit or a god or a demon? How many times do you say the name on purpose of a demon? I'm not talking about Satan or whichever one you want to <laughs> make the plain case for. Those come up all the time. Jesus, God, Satan. We hear that a lot. But what about the Egyptian god Set? How often do you see or say the name Set? How often do you press a button that says Set? How many electrical appliances ovens, fridge, camera. The camera I'm using has a set button. It's everywhere. We have it in a number of other things too, kind of hidden in plain sight, a few words that we have, and I'll, I'll get to that in a sec, but think about it. Where do you report to when you're filming, Hollywood or otherwise? You report to set. This name is everywhere. And while now it's seen as relatively speaking, a negative God. Um, it wasn't, and so it happened within the time of Egypt, which is interesting. I like to often on this show go back and look at what things meant at one time period and what they mean now. But interestingly enough, in from the uh, 19th up to the 19th dynasty of Egypt, Set was actually revered quite well, and kings would um, love to be... Oh, wait, wait I'm, I don't want to say it wrong... Um, they would they want they would be the delighted to be beloved of set this was something that a king would use as a plus for him a value add so to speak that hey set loves me so you got to love me too right then come to a few uh, dynasties later by the 22nd uh, dynasty master builder number on the side there set was suddenly um a, a, a negative god the origin of all evil and the god of night, perhaps representing the moon. Set and Horus, where we get the word hour from, where we get the word horizon from, represents the sun. Set and Horus would battle twice a day. One would win in the daytime, one would win at the start of the nighttime. And when Set would defeat Horus and nighttime would take over, we call this a sun set. So there's another way that we use this word set 
I'm not trying to say that they've convinced us to say this God's name and terrible things are going to happen every time you do it because I think it would have happened already. Everyone says set all the time. Ready, set, go. It happens even when we do that. It's everywhere. And it's kind of crazy, but it's not the kind of thing you think about all the time or possibly ever. I hope to get somebody thinking that, hey, I never even thought of that. That's kind of part of the goal with what I'm doing here. Um, so to come back to what we started with, the cross, the ankh, Set is often depicted holding it an Ankh. And Set is also the father of Anubis, which is the dog-headed god you may have seen. Um, the start of the word annual is where Anubis comes from. You can see we have a lot of time designations given to uh, these Egyptian gods. And there's uh, much deeper connections to other religions and cultures as well, as we'll show very soon. But... Um, Set is also said to father a crocodile crocodile deity named Maga, M-A-G-A, just like the acronym that is so heinously abhorred nowadays by, by certain people. Um, I don't prescribe to either one of those things, of course. The Pepsi-Coke thing, which are both blue and red also, by the way. Very interesting that those colors are always um, in opposition to each other. Perhaps it has to do with the way that the blood enters and leaves the heart, as far as blue and red go. A lot of royalty is purple. Combination of the colors. Interesting stuff overall, but um, maybe beyond the scope of today. And interestingly enough, it made me think of something with Donald Trump as far as the MAGA thing, where he, maybe his daughter or he, I don't really honestly remember, but the, he said something about he would love to or he loves to eat McDonald's every night. And this is another one of those things, a hidden in plain sight terminology. Why would anyone say that, first of all? I don't get it, but that's okay. I ate plenty of McDonald's when I was younger. Um, it's not like I haven't had it once in a while. My friend calls it secret McDonald's. If you're listening, you know who you are. Um, but MacDonald, McDonald. The prefix Mick or Mac, which are the same, means son of. That's how you're related to your family. Um, this is the way it's been for a long time, especially in Northern Europe, I imagine, and many other places too. But to say that you'd want to eat McDonald every night is literally saying, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything here. I'm just pointing out that this was said, and it actually could be encoding something much more nefarious, which I am not here to produce any evidence on and not making any claims. But it literally means I want to eat the son of Donald every night. So I, I'm not getting crazy about it. I just think it's kind of funny that, that those words were said. It could have been made in complete jest and, and just playful. And I, I realize that. But I'm not trying to make it out, take it out of context. And I'm not trying to get you to take it out of context either. But it was said. But if it wasn't said, it was alluded to. Or at least it ended up in the news for you to see. And that's something to think about too. A lot of times things are remembered incorrectly. I'm not talking about Mandela effect, but what I mean is a, a headline may purport something and then you remember it or know it or take it as fact, and then it never happened. But it was in the mainstream media. That was in the mainstream media, whether it was said or not. Just an interesting side note from what came up by me seeing the word MAGA. Um, so like I said, 10 IO or 10 a completion cycle, uh, perfection, and the number four can also mean ten, by the way. One plus two plus three plus four is ten. 
This is another way that things are occulted in plain sight, occulted as in hidden. And symbology goes very deep. A square can actually mean 10. And there's a video game company called Square. Square Enix, Square Soft. Changed the name a few times. But interestingly enough, they made a game that I had mentioned on a, a previous podcast and Final Fantasy series, which is what they're most popular for, of course. And this is another one of those games that got a remake many decades later, um, nearly, no, I'm sorry, over 20 years later. It came out in around 97, I think, the first one, and they remade it. It was, it had gender confusion all over it. It was a very different experience from what I saw. I didn't actually play it. I did play the first one. Much younger then, different time in my life. But remakes, as I had mentioned in a previous episode here, remakes. Why did that story have to come back in your face? There's a lot of Nordic mythological terms. There's a lot of Kabbalistic terms. There's the, a Sephiroth. The bad guy is Sephiroth. There's Midgard and other things that are referencing lots of different cultures, religions. And just like Disney, who Square has teamed up with in the past, uh, by the way, for that Kingdom Hearts game series. Yeah, another interesting facet of it all, Square is the name of the company. That means perfection. And they had a remake. They wanted that story right back in your face again. I'm not sure why. Maybe I'll go into it in a future episode. I'm, I'm feeling inspired to do so, perhaps. Um, but this number 10, being this number of perfection, also gives us just a tiny little bit of insight to something that I'm going to do next week. Um, next week, because right after the time that this next week's episode will come out, it will be that infamous day and month of the year, the 911. And those two numbers, 9 and 11, they sit on the outside of the number 10, as if to avoid the completion of the cycle, as if to start another cycle without ever finishing the last one. This is one simple way to look at those two numbers. And I will give us a lot more to think about next week with that. I certainly won't be discussing the event. I will be discussing the numbers, the why, and a lot of other things. I assure you, I have plenty in store for that. And um, just a few of the things with the I.O., if you were to put it into the male-female context, we get, again, input-output, a computer term. And I.O. is often what you see on the actual power switches of many electronic devices. There's an I and an O. And there's often a horizontal line in between them, which I actually just thought of. So that, interestingly enough, is nearly, it's the, the parts of an Ankh. It's the parts of an Ankh deconstructed, right on the switch to your vacuum, right on the switch to your computer, maybe, uh, depending on the brand, obviously. But yeah, it means on-off. Another way to look at it. And very interesting, I must say, that the Ankh can be so much. And another thing to think about as we move on to these other topics that are coming is that inversion often has a very big effect on how symbology is used. And let's look at a cross. What is a cross inverted? And I'm not thinking of that whole Satan thing. I'm thinking of a sword. If a cross is taken upside down, it actually looks and is a sword. And as far as spellings and words go, as far as this episode is concerned... What is sword? It's word with an S in front. 
It's a lot of words that do this. They either add or take away letters. Some of them have letters added that still aren't even used. Like the word bought has a GH. We don't use it in that context, really. Think about that. There's a lot to it. And the more you think about it, the more you'll see it. It's everywhere. Um, the Ankh, when inverted, this is just my opinion. I actually haven't really seen this anywhere, but it can resemble a rapier, as in the weapon that they use for fencing. And of course, it's a straight-up weapon as well, obviously. But it has more of a hand, bulbous-looking hand cover at the hilt. And this looks a lot like the Circle of the Ankh. And I've noticed somebody is holding that exact sword when they are depicted doing certain things. I will talk about exactly who that is in a moment. And I find it very interesting that Set holds the Ankh and so does this person in a certain way, if it is to be looked at that way. I have to search and find things because that's what I do. And who knows? It could be totally on the money or not. So a quick description of things that come up in this um, Alvin Boyd Kuhn book, Esoteric Structure of the Alphabet, is that he, in the book, he does a very good job of showing pairs of letters as they occur in the alphabet, like AB, MN. There's a very large description about how if you were to take the letters of the alphabet from A down to M, you go to N and you come back up. It's a very long description that I'm not, this is not part of what I'm talking about today, but there's a lot of interesting little things that come up. And keep in mind that people like him, people like Dylan Sococcio, they're doing really great work to discuss how you can take letters and switch them out for another letter, and suddenly it means a similar thing or you know, a juxtapositional thing in another language, in another culture. This happens very often. So here's a description of one from the person who wrote this book, is that I-O becomes I-A-O, which becomes I-A-H. This becomes J-A-H. Suddenly we have J-H-V-H, as in Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. Yahweh, Tetragrammaton. And this is, of course, yes, it sounds like a stretch. Of course it does. But not, there's a much better description of it in the book. And this happens very often, where we have a letter either present or not present. And it almost doesn't change the meaning sometimes. It's just another way to say it. Or we change the inflection of a word. He goes into detail about S and SH. He goes into detail about H and being very similar, H, N. They do start with the same vowel, even though it's a consonant. And that's one of those very interesting things that it, it makes you think about. How many times you've said it, millions of times perhaps, and not even thought about it once. It's an intriguing little concept. It's an intriguing little book, believe me. Now here's something that really got this whole episode started, as a matter of fact. This is what really pushed me to even do this, is that there was discussion in this book about A and B. Not together, but as they're separate places and where they are located in the alphabet. A being the first letter, and B being the second letter. A, his argument, and it's very strong in my opinion for a number of reasons, which I will make some com comparisons that he did not make, actually, and I'm sure he could. It was a short book. 
He did really good with the time he had, the space he had. It's an older book. A is often placed at the beginning of words to not only invert them, but to almost deprive them of their meaning entirely and speak of the opposite. And positive becomes negative, in other words. Think about this. If you're moral, you have morality. You can make fair decisions based on your moral judgment. There's a squirrel running across the road. I'm going to slow down so I don't run them over. Even if it's an insignificant little squirrel, everything, every living thing matters, and I'm going to do the moral thing. I'm going to slow down and make sure I don't kill this squirrel, even though I'm rushing to work because I'm late. Could be your fault, could not be, not the point. But what about when you're amoral? Now we've taken the word and it's the opposite. An amoral person may not even be looking for the squirrel to begin with. And they're going to hit them and just keep going and get to work on time and possibly keep speeding in the times and the <laughs> speeding over the speed limit that uh, they're doing predictably if they're amoral. They speed all over the place. They're always late. So his his argument here, and this relates to several things, it's, it's, it's something, is that A is not actually the first letter. B is technically supposed to be letter number one. The number will matter here, because we just talked about one and zero, of course. But think about it this way. The letter B, it's the first letter in beginning. It's often used for words that have starting points to bear something. Birth, baby, born, beget. It's a strong case. There's plenty more. Maybe I wrote a few down. There's more in the book. I didn't write them all down. But this um, actually comes right to the Bible, the Torah. The first word is ba-rashith. Ba-rashith. B with, an, B with an apostrophe. B is the first letter of this book in either language. And it means in the beginning. There's the B again. Beginning. Ba-rashith. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Uh, forgive me if you know better. Hit me up in the comments if so. Let me know. Let me know what I'm doing right or wrong, please. It means a lot to me. Um... It's the first word in this book, this Holy Scripture, which is not supposed to be taken at face value, in my opinion. It's not supposed to be taken as literal history. It's far more than that. They're all coming from the same place. All the Holy Scriptures of any belief system. These books are meant to be unraveled. And slowly but surely you start seeing connections like this where it's supposed to almost designate the beginning of the alphabet. Now, what about A? If B is 1, what is A? We're right back to the Ankh again. A is now 0. Is there anything else where 0 starts the sequence? Not some random math problem. Not some random scale of numbers that you're viewing or observing or using for whatever purposes you're using them for. No. Um... Zero is actually the first thing in the tarot. Zero, the fool, and the fool's path through the major arcana. 22 cards total. Same amount of numbers in the Hebrew alphabet. 
It proves something for sure. And have an entire book about which uh, each tarot card represented by a letter of the uh, Hebrew alphabet, which also starts with an A and the second is a B. So it has the same two starting letters, technically speaking. Yeah, they don't look the same on paper, the way they write them, but they're pronounced with the A, with the B. So consider that. This isn't because I'm looking at it in English or because this author was approaching the translated Bible in English. It's the same first two sounding letters of the Hebrew alphabet as well. I hope that I'm giving somebody some new information here because it certainly is enlightening to see how similar certain alphabets are, even if they don't look the same at all. It's very intriguing to me. And where else does zero start something? I took computer science to a certain level about 20 years ago. And (laughs) maybe it was more than 20 years ago, as a matter of fact. And you deal with a matrix and you call to that matrix. Don't worry if you know what it means. But the reason I'm mentioning this is, let's say you have a 10-unit matrix. I don't even know if that's the right way to label it, honestly. But you call to it to bring things from it. When you do that, you use the numbers 0 through 9. You don't do 1 through 10. 0 is the first number. So this is also a computer language thing. Whether it was intentional or not, I'm not sure, as far as it resembling what we're discussing here. But it's another interesting thing to discuss. Zero is first. If you want number two, you say you want three. Zero, one, two. It's the third number in that actual matrix. Another thing to think about. And quick, one last thing to mention about the A being at the beginning of words. For any Greek friends that might be out there, Alithia. Is truth? Ah, lithia. And lithia specifically, which I didn't know, means that which is not forgotten. I thought that was a very interesting little thing to mention. And that means truth. That which is not forgotten. They're different, but I assume they have similarities as well, and that word gets used that way. But there's another thing where the A inverts. So keep those things in mind. This doesn't mean that zero isn't important. It is. Of course it is. Zero, a circle. Let's not call it zero. A circle is a very impactful thing. And there was there was a great description in this book of the successive stages of the creative process. I wasn't going to pull that photo up first, but I think I am actually going to show you now. I wrote them down. I didn't really find a good diagram online. I didn't feel like busting one out in whatever app I was using. But um, this is what I hand wrote very quickly. You'll notice I'm not exactly the cleanest writing here. Successive stages of the creative process. Life unmanifest. The Ouroboros is also represented by a circle, the serpent eating its own tail. I don't, I don't want to say that there's a comparison here at the moment. It's not, I don't think. But circle can represent that too. Keep that in mind. And what was from the Bible quote here? The world was without form and void. Here is the circle with nothing in it. Now we get a dot. The emergence of the first organic, out of unmanifest. Sperm and egg, really, is what we're looking at here. It's also the zodiac sun symbol. Not the um, the 12 signs of the zodiac, but 
as far as astrology, this is the circle with the dot is the sun. Next, we get a circle with a horizontal line. Original unity, creative duality, visibly, because things exist before this, but now we get a visible duality, and the egg splits into two. Next, we have a plus sign. The vertical line is spirit force. The horizontal line is physical force. This is also the sign for Earth. I'm finding this to be very intriguing. And then we have what looks like an X, but it's actually a plus sign with motion introduced. Creation has begun. Something else that's very interesting to mention here is when we have, if we take the X out of the O and simply place it right next to it, we get ox, O-X, ox or a bull. This bull is, of course, the zodiac sign Taurus. Taurus, Torah, Tarot, Rota, Rotate. And all of this can uh, easily be seen in a card that we'll pull up a little later, the Wheel of Fortune. And if you didn't know, there is a tarot card called the Wheel of Fortune. There is a game show named after a tarot card. And I recall when the show starts, the crowd chants the name of Wheel of Fortune. I think I might have mentioned in the previous episode, but I just find it so interesting that there's almost a chanting of this card, much like invoking, much like when you say set and you don't even realize it. You're saying the name of something pretty important, and those things aren't usually to be taken lightly. At least ancient texts tell you not to take those things lightly. And maybe there's a reason. I know there's a show right now of Moon Knight, and I know it's very Egyptology-focused. It's getting some people into those gods. I think one of them was improperly named, like Khonsu instead of Khonshu, something along those lines. Interesting how, you know, certain things get kind of changed when they're molded into programming, when they're molded into entertainment. But that's enough of that, I think. Again, I'll get back to the circle with the X. I think you'll find it interesting when we do. But um, now to get back into what I wanted to as far as who, which figure that we're expected to believe did everything they, they said he did is seen holding a rapier, much like holding an ankh. Who is seen with one hand up and one hand down, much like the Baphomet statue, which I will show in a little bit. Who is seen with their arm in a statue raised gloriously above them, much like the Statue of Liberty. And who is named after a goddess? A man named after a goddess. It's Christopher Columbus. Of course it is. Christopher is already Christ. Columbus is Columbia. Christ Columbia. Man, woman, I-O. Seems to be some something to it, I must say. And there's a lot more to it believe it or not. Now I'm going to pull up a picture of card zero in the tarot. This is the fool. There's plenty of things to note from any one of these cards, but the things we should take away are, first of all, right above him is not some kind of, you know, design. That is a zero. The other cards have Roman numerals above them. Here is zero. You'll notice that he almost looks like he's letting the sun 
uh, cover his whole body in, in a, you know, a warm moment of solace, so to speak. Solace as in solar, solar comfort. But the sun is behind him. Take a good look at which animal is present by his feet. We have a dog, an active dog, potentially happy, potentially as blissfully ignorant as he is, that he is walking directly towards a cliff and away from the sun. So this guy is about to die, <laughs> essentially. And I think it's very interesting. He doesn't have the up-down Baphomet hand that we will see prominently in other things coming up, but he does have a palm up and a palm down. That is something. The up palm is holding a flower. The downward palm is holding a rod which holds what is called a wallet. And again, keep in mind that there's a dog present here. And he's on the shoreline. Or he's at least near... I, I misspoke. There must be mountains in the background. I'm sorry. Those are not crashing waves. <laughs> but there is shoreline. There are shorelines coming up. And often the shore is considered a liminal space between one thing and another. I would say he's in a liminal space where he's about to either fall to his doom or finally realize his eyes are closed, of course. Maybe he'll realize what's happening. Also notice there's something of a floral design on his shirt. And look at the clothes that he's wearing because everything is going to come into play here. So, yes, the tarot starts and has a card number zero. So, who else is seen with dogs? This is an image of Christopher Columbus. Now, clearly, this is not a direct representation of what we just looked at. But there are some very, very striking similarities. He has the dog to his lower right. He's not really walking, but he does have a stick that could have a wallet on it. It could have anything. But that's just for you to see that Christopher Columbus is pictured with the dog, much like the fool. Here he is again with some of his family, and there's a dog. He's seated again, and I believe the previous photo had the same arrangement of his legs, where his right leg was behind his left I'm not sure if that really matters. But if you look at the shadows, the sun is in his, on his chest. The sun is in front of his view. And the dog is to his left, almost looking at him with a questioning or a begging sort of look. Um, there are several other things, several other things present here that may even lead to some Freemasonic concepts, not important to mention at this exact moment. But there is a goddess in the background. So let's keep that in mind. Because like I said, there may be something to mention here as far as goddesses go. So I'm going to run through a few more quick photos of Christopher Columbus doing his thing. I'm going to point out a few things to point out some other things in the near in the uh, coming moments here. So here's Christopher Columbus uh, getting to the shoreline. He is indeed holding a sword. But this sword is inverted to now look like a cross. You can clearly see that that sword looks just like a cross. And everyone, somebody in the background is holding a cross up high. He here is clearly holding one hand up and one hand down. That is something to think about. Keep that in mind. Here he is on another shoreline image where not exactly the same proportions, but one hand is up, one hand is down. And he has a rapier. Or a rapier. 
by his side, much like I suggested the Ankh was. I also failed to mention just before, with this particular photo, uh, it's not a photo, obviously, it's a painting, you may not be able to tell, but there seem to be floral patterns on his outfit, which does, relatively speaking, resemble the Fool. Relatively speaking. If you were to make the comparisons, there they are. It's as simple as that. I'm not trying to go too far with it. So here is another image of Christopher Columbus speaking with the queen, looking to get his, charting his course. Maybe he's looking for funding, whatever it is. But he clearly has one hand up and one hand down. Now, what other figure, a little more well-known as of late, I'd say, has that? Here's Baphomet. We could talk about this image for 17 hours straight, but the most important thing to take away from what I'm discussing is that we have one hand up and one hand down. And this is very commonly seen in a lot of imagery. It's not just Christopher Columbus, but it does seem odd. Now, here's a Christopher Columbus statue from Mexico City. This statue was actually removed in protest. Maybe it was for all the right reasons. Maybe it was for all the wrong reasons. But he is clearly doing one hand up and one hand down. Now, I found a stunning correlation here when I looked for an overhead view of this because it's starting to look like the Statue of Liberty to me. And the Statue of Liberty is on a star fort. The symbology of that we'll save for another time, but maybe I thought maybe this one is on a star fort. It does seem very similar. But here is an image of the statue removed, and they definitely removed it, of what he was on. This isn't a star fort, but let's just talk about what it could be for just a moment. What I'm going to pull up after this is card number 10, the Wheel of Fortune from the tarot deck. Now, based on what we were just looking at, the motion introduced, we have an X in the center. Perhaps a coincidence. It could look like a plus if you had the camera in a different direction. There's also four points on the diagonals, and those were four statues. Keep all of this in mind as I show you the Wheel of Fortune. And please, be honest. Do you not see what I'm seeing? I believe there's a stunning similarity here. Not only in shape and design, but the color. And that is obviously, well, maybe it's not, but it seems like a coincidence. There are a lot of different tarot decks, by the way. They don't all look just like this. They don't all have Hebrew on them like this. But most of them do have the representation of these four zodiac signs and a wheel. But that X inside of this circle really looks a lot like what my handwritten one was and what, what, what that statue was on. Why was there an X under there? I guess that's the way the support mechanism was, but I don't, I don't know, honestly. And here we have the four zodiac signs as uh, Dylan Sococcio so eloquently discussed in an incredible interview with Chance Garten on the Innerverse podcast. And as I have in the past, if you haven't, please go check that out. Um, we have four zodiacal signs in the corners. We have Leo the lion, Taurus the bull, or the ox, as we said earlier. We have Aquarius the man, and then we have an eagle, which is the higher mind of Scorpio the scorpion. If you 
as you may know, Scorpio is often represented by the, uh, the, the carnal emotions, sexual desires. If you control those, you are of the higher mind and you are off the land. And now you're an eagle soaring in the sky. And that is why that is not a scorpion for Scorpio. Um, and then let's look inside the wheel here. What do we have with the Hebrew? Let's just get it out of the way. It's yod Hey vad Hey, like we discussed earlier. But if we look at the actual letters, the English letters we see, R-O-T-A, Rota, as we discussed with Taurus earlier, the bull. It's also Torah, T-O-R-A. And I think that's already plenty of information here. I'm not looking to harp on this for too long, but here is an incredible coincidence. One last time with the other image, just so you can see. This all happened because I thought of looking at Christopher Columbus because of an elk. <laughs> so I think that's pretty amazing to begin with. So what else does Christopher Columbus look like? Let's look at his statue one more time. And now let's look at good old Lady Liberty in New York. The Statue of Liberty. There is something of a similarity here. Now, what does this look like? And is there a connection to Christopher Columbus here? I think a lot of you are familiar with this image, Columbia Pictures. So we're starting to see a very deep level of similarities here that are undeniable. And Columbia is just a, another name for a long line of goddesses. Much like Jesus being the name for a so, another name for a solar deity, uh, Columbia is, has been a number of other deities in the past, Isis, Freya, Kali, Ishtar, Wisdom, Warfare, Destiny, Mother of Civilization. Here's an image of Freya, one of the many pre-Columbia, Colombian goddesses, not to be confused with Colombia with an O, which is actually where my dad was born. These goddesses go very far back. I'm starting to think that there's an undeniable coincidental relationship here between all of these things. And it's relatively exciting to come across this information just because I'm researching. And I hope that I've shown you something that you weren't sure about. A little side note on that Christopher Columbus, that double C. Uh, that's the third letter, is it not? Three, three. Do with that what you will. But it is 33 as we often see in a lot of Freemasonic representations of things. The 33rd degree, 33 spinal vertebrae, ascend to the 33rd, the final vertebrae being called the atlas because it helps hold up the skull at the top of your spine. 33 also because after you pass 32 degrees Fahrenheit, you are no longer frozen you're off ice. And we can, uh, again, thank the wonderful Dylan Sococcio and his Spirit World book series for that. This is not a paid advertisement. Go read those books. It's unbelievable. And um, I guess I'll leave you with one little thing of ideas you may have not have thought of removing word letters, taking away letters. We discussed sword as being word with an S. But what about gold? Take away the L, and we get God. And L is often God. 
E-L, that is. So that's a very interesting um, thing there. I came across the word Lord, as in law ward, law ward. If you elide the W's, you get law ward. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. Um, you interpret, you ingest visually symbols all the time, all day and night. Whether it's from a dream or whether it's part of a package of something that you're using, a food packaging, a product, a television show, a sign on the road, could be anything. It's everywhere. Be aware. Hey, B and A, there you go. The B came first that time. <laughs> be aware. Know your symbols. Know your color symbols. Flower symbols, they're everywhere. They all mean things. And they're all used in a certain way to subliminally, I think, manipulate a lot of different things. And provably so. Not just from me, but many others. The kinds of people I'm looking to get on this show, because I have some guests coming up who I think you'll be very interested in. And like I said, next week will certainly be something about the numbers 911. And a little bit of uh, history and mystery on that. And uh, plenty more to come. I can't thank you enough for being here. Have a great night, guys. Or day. Whatever it happens to be.